Well, it is episode 103 of Fancy Ramen. My name is Neil. And I'm Scott. And today it's uh, January 20th, which uh, if you are looking at your timestamp on when you downloaded this episode or when it was uploaded to YouTube, it should be fairly shorter because that means we've finally started to catch up with some of the backlog we had at the start of the year. Uh, And that is probably the only non-game related thing I did this week. So what about you, Scott? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think what I did besides uh, try and resist the irresistible urge to um, empty out my apartment into the black hole that is the zeitgeist of Marie Kondo's cleaning up or whatever. Have Do you know anything about that out of curiosity? We may have talked about it previously on the podcast when Cookie's wife was going through their house um, tossing out old stuff because she had just finished reading Marie Kondo's book. I don't know if we did it on camera, so to speak, or on microphone. On mic. Okay. Well, this is if this is the first time we're putting it on wax, then I'll give a very quick description, which is uh, Marie Kondo, I know nothing about her, and uh, I'm going to go off the dome as opposed to do any sort of research or understand her background. Marie Kondo is a Japanese woman who loves mess and filth and eradicating it with uh, like <laughs> a, a pinpoint approach of taking each item that she encounters and determining, does this item that I am currently holding spark joy? And if no, she casts it into the bottomless abyss of whatever garbage heap is nearest by. Um, or maybe she donates it. She might be a little bit better uh, about it. But either way, she banishes it from her home never to be seen again. And she wrote a book about this, which I think the book honestly could be relatively one page, but I believe it's a little bit thicker than that. Probably about 100 times thicker. Um, but the basic principle is determining all the things that you own, the things that are around you in your living space, and uh, assessing their worth in a, uh, like, does this bring me life format instead of would it be functional or useful for me to have a backup hat just in case my other hat gets destroyed and I need one? So I'm not following exactly the Marie Kondo principles, but um, I tried to do that around my apartment this weekend with uh, maybe less zeal than she has in both her book and her Netflix a television show or series that I think a lot of people are currently watching and flooding Goodwills with. But it was nice. I I threw out a bunch of stuff and I actually did um, encounter the conundrum of I have a hat that I really like, but should I keep a backup hat just in case I lose said great hat? Well, and the answer I came... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the answer I came to was was keeping the backup hat because at this point... um, I, I've probably filled three trash bags full of items to donate and um, a couple other like miscellaneous items that are too big to actually put in a trash bag or it's kind of useless, like an old 10-watt uh, base practice amp that I don't need anymore because I have a 40-watt amp that is much better. <laughs> yeah, that needed to go. It really did. It mostly just buzzed. I don't even know if it made sound as much as just uh, like plugged into an electrical socket and uh, vibrated at a frequency close to what my string would play. It's funny that you mention all this because I actually went through the same process on Friday or Saturday and it's still like a work in progress, but uh, like, I mean no joke that like i could not see the floor for like half of this basement and now everything is visible and in boxes and there's like three extremely large bags of trash uh that are waiting to be dumped in the garage now as well i can tell it's a lot cleaner because i too can see your floor for the first time (laughs) on our discord video chat but also you even unburied um your your silent producer's dad, who I haven't seen in the background in quite some time. <laughs> it looks like he's up and moving for the first time in what has to be months. Um, was he okay? Did you have to hydrate him once you... <laughs> well, you know, an IV and, uh, and then some flapjacks and we're good to go. Uh, so is this yeah, process 
like shortened down to Kon Mari? I thought that I thought that the woman who um, it initiated this uh, technique is Marie Kondo. Uh, yeah. At least I'm I'm seeing it Marie on Kondo. Reddit. Like it, a, it's got its own she's subreddit. She's a Japanese consultant. Okay. It, it's now uh, the the subreddit is Kon Mari, or you know, for Marie Kondo, like kind of like how anime or manga with ridiculously long names end up getting shortened down. I think that's kind of what's happened here. So people talk about the KonMari yeah. method. Um, yeah, no, KonMari method. Kondo's method of organizing is known as the KonMari method and consists of gathering together all of one's belongings, one category at a time, and keeping only those things that spark joy. Tokimeku, the word in Japanese means flutter, throb, palpitate, and choosing a place for it everything from then on so that's the other thing like i kept a lot of things that did not make me flutter palpitate or even like have any sort of emotional response but i did look at them and go even though this does not instill joy in me would it be really shitty if i went to go use this item later or find this and realize that uh i had completely disposed of it I think my principle is better because I don't know if I would have any physical possessions left if I uh, went by the butterflies in my stomach method as opposed to the, well, I do need to wear pants, don't I? Uh, approach that I prefer. But it was, uh, it was a nice way, I guess, to start what was otherwise going to be a relatively uneventful weekend. And when I went to tackle the remaining stuff that I had holed up at my uh, parents' place, because I don't have that much storage space in my apartment, I pretty much took everything I left with them and deposited it as well into a donation bag, only to find out that they were doing the exact same thing and uh, (laughs) already had two donation bags primed of what they had taken out of their house. So although I haven't read the book or watched the... uh, netflix series i think that this is like currently sweeping through the cultural zeitgeist of just like cleaning shit up and really minimizing our like possessions and i'm waiting for the shopping at goodwill to be really choice so i can build back up on all of the shit i've just thrown out (laughs) while we're talking about the con uh con mari uh method i method i kind of had some interesting choices to face too and I also want to note, too, it's crazy that you can go through all of your belongings and still not find the one thing that was, like, part of your reason to do the cleaning or sorting to begin with. You were looking for something? I kind of was. That was, like, a bonus to also being able... I So, like, I, I guess, like, the full inspiration is that I've got this big sound console here uh, that I won at an auction for a pretty low price And I'm starting to come to terms with the fact that this sound console, which is like 24 channels, 36 channel or 32 channel frame, is just not going to get utilized by me right now. Like I haven't mixed an album or any music in like a year and a half to two years. And that's really the only time something like that would be useful aside from being a showpiece for any type of studio and literally a showpiece as in like, look at this. It makes us look more professional. Uh, but yeah. we don't actually use it. We might fiddle with knobs and stuff to make you think we're using it, or or we might use what we call the master section of the console, which is basically just, at that point, becomes a glorified volume knob and routing system for speakers. But then, like aside from that, that's that's probably what it would end up being if I continue to be in possession of this board and find the place to put it. Uh, but I, I was really surprised that you led with that with our uh, fancy ramen live <laughs> <laughs> yeah i a program just about to come to fruition i uh i definitely felt like i could just give it to someone else that would actually use it uh and i've been asking around to see if it, i have any takers on it and like you know i can say this without any concern cuz the people that would be interested in this are probably not going to uh interested in the board are not going to be listening to this podcast most likely um but yeah. like i just really would want a few hundred dollars for it or quite frankly and then like because that's what the cost was so i just i just basically want the cost back for it you want or break even yeah. i kind of wouldn't mind if someone would take this 300 pound console out 
on their own and then i wouldn't charge anything for it that's that's basically how right. i feel you about just, it you want a very strong handshake if you're not going to get any sort of financial compensation for it i want it i want multiple strong handshakes that would be comprised of the people that would lift and carry this console out of here because it's like 300 something pounds it is uh it's big and unwieldy and it's kind of a pain in the butt to move around but so the cleaning was basically a way to get ready for that process if i find the right buyer Mm -hmm. um but in addition to that i also kind of organized the the game collection and all that and also came to realize that there's probably not a good way to have absolutely every piece of hardware i have hooked up to this computer neat without like a gross misuse of twist ties and whatnot i think uh yeah it's crazy i have like so many peripherals now there's so many consoles i've got it's like i have no idea how else to make this a better setup aside from adding more monitors like more computer monitors for different consoles and like I kind of want to hook up my Windows XP computer to this crazy amalgamation as well, which wouldn't be too hard because that would be using, aside from another outlet, I would just have a uh, VGA connection. But then part of me is like, well, how often am I really going to use Windows XP? Maybe once a year. Yeah, it's n- not not the uh, not the version of Windows I would expect someone to be using on an active basis unless they're tied to equipment that is uh restricted to that being the most modern operating system it'll interact with right yeah that that's all i really need to say about that uh what else have you been up to this week well i got a raise at work and um what i wanted to do to uh display my newfound wealth was commit to an exorbitant purchase and so um i have finally joined the uh club of people who pay for some sort of subscription service uh before this i have been able to work my contacts to get hulu and netflix and all these different streaming services from uh friends or family you guys will never catch me I'll <laughs> despite I'll the, the advanced algorithm yeah this is how Netflix knows how many people watch Bird Box, even though it doesn't match their viewing numbers. I didn't watch Bird Box, but they can at least assume that uh, on an account that's supposed to be for one person, it is actually for a family of 20 people. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I they haven't caught me on that yet, but I think I finally buckled. And um, yesterday, I went ahead and spent the uh, ridiculous price of I think six ninety five to get a uh, Crunchyroll's premium service. Except, what's very interesting about this is I had already um, the way that they have the establishment of their premium service is pretty interesting because I could not find an option in which you just opt in to do it. Instead, what happens is you try premium for a two-week period, and then they start to charge you if you don't withdraw from it. But I had already pulled the bullshit move of like knowing I was going to watch a lot of anime within a two-week period and signed up for the uh, free premium trial and then canceled out of it. So when I went to set up my card for it, Um, it said that I had already tried the free premium trial and it didn't give me the option to actually just pay for the premium service. So I had to take an alternative route and sign up with my PayPal account. But the PayPal account has activated another free trial for me under the same account for another 14 days. So I found the secret to getting 28 days out of the 14-day trial is to just keep alternating your payment methods. Um... I don't think that if I were to go back and try the card again or the PayPal method that it would work. So I think 28 is probably the maximum without uh, suggesting a different card number. But once my 14 days are up, I plan on staying on the program this time and getting the premium service. So in theory, you could just keep opening new credit cards. Yeah, I think you just keep juggling new new credit accounts. Um, in this case, the second one, I used a PayPal instead of a credit card. So I don't know if it's the method of payment is different as well. But 
I found a way that you could at least get a full February month out of Crunchyroll for free before ever having to uh, pay for any sort of service. Yeah, not bad. Um, you know, uh, Crunchyroll, go ahead and contact me for my service fee of uh, doing some white hat hacking. <laughs> but yeah, that's about, I think that's about all I've been up to for the most part. I got a, for Scott's hockey update, I got the MVP award a second time in a row consecutively, making three for the year and further entrenching me with imposter syndrome. Did you make a goal? Still haven't made a goal. <laughs> but man, I keep the pressure up. Uh, yeah, I'm going to need to work on that. I'm actually, uh, I'm bad enough of a shooter. I mean, we haven't played against any of these teams a second time. It's a, it's a whole uh, lineup of um the entire season is a different team pretty much every every weekend and so i'm able to uh pass as like a threatening um wing because i'm always in position to score um and at least when i'm right in front of the goalies like i i don't think it's called the box i'm not actually entirely sure but um, I'm always about in the right place to score and I just don't have the opportunity to really uh, knock it in. <coughs> and so what ends up happening is I get really close and threaten the other team, but they don't know how bad I am at actually trying to make a shot because for whatever reason, I cannot get the puck off the ground when I intend to or when I go to deflect. I have no accuracy whatsoever. So I'm just keeping people on their toes. And that seems to be good enough. I dig. I, I can dig it. Yeah. Um, that's all I've been up to. And I wish I could say I've done a lot of gaming. But I also haven't done too much of that. So I'd love to hear what you've been up to on the gaming end. Well, I... Uh... The Suikoden 2 streams have been continuing. Uh, upon viewer request, I think I'm going to up it to twice a week now. Saturday mornings, most likely, as well as Sunday. Uh, it's I, I'm only like maybe five... Or no, I, actually, I'm seven hours into Suikoden 2, and I am hard-pressed to think of a game where a direct sequel improves as much as Suikoden 2 does to 1. Like, And, and for... for very understandable reasons. Suikoden 1 like, was a success financially in Japan, and mm -hmm. it was also a, a very low-budget game. So afterwards, they're like, oh, we could really... like This is a PlayStation-era 2D RPG. They, they kind of looked at that, and I think the story is that they saw the success of 1, and they're like, oh, there's still a market for 2D RPGs. Maybe we should actually put some time in this one. And they hired like a, you know, a quote-unquote more professional artist. Uh, they they got additional help on the composing or composition, the music composition from other people in uh, Konami as well, uh, which I think just further establishes Miki uh, Higashino, the original composer's like work is even better with the help, I'm assuming, on arrangement and audio mixing and so forth. Uh, but just uh -huh. overall, like the story, everything's written so much better. I'm excited to keep playing that game and also excited to play like the rest of the series from this point on. So just wanted to throw that much out there. I also streamed a little bit of Catherine uh, Classic, the PC port, on hard. And I don't know if I've ever played it on hard before. That game is punishing. It's, I think like I'm on the second boss, or rather the, the second chapter at the boss, and I just don't know how to move forward. I, I think there are legitimately points in that game, in this cube climbing puzzle game where if you pull something out wrong or if the boss knocks down a row of blocks you just legitimately cannot advance without the use of items and you mm -hmm. can only unfortunately use one item at a time or ha uh, hold on to one at a time which basically creates you a freebie block so you can usually get up things you couldn't otherwise get up uh but How do you collect items is it in the uh, dream world or is it in the main part of the, I guess, the like lucid version of the game? You uh, collect them during the dream, although you can technically 
enhance the way you climb by drinking during the night or during the day when you're awake. I think that's um, what it does. Okay. Uh, but I, it's been a blast to play that too. Um, I'm I'm hoping to start streaming some other games uh, aside from just Suikoden, but it's kind of hard to have like a specific schedule aside from those mornings. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only other small thing to talk about before we talk about something that we both enjoyed uh, was that I was watching uh, John or Jay Frey all day, if you want to go to his Twitch, uh, play mm-hmm. Bloodborne. He's uh, trying to platinum the game. And in doing so, it's got it's gotten that itch a little bit back into me of wanting to go back and uh, play some Bloodborne. So I uh, recently, huh, I can't remember where I encountered this at, but it, it had been stated somewhere I can't remember if this was a uh, like a comment on Reddit or YouTube or it was a thread on some forum, but it was that Bloodborne players should be uh, happy that we don't have a sequel to Bloodborne because it essentially preserves uh, what was such a good experience with the original Bloodborne. And I was trying to sit down and think about that in comparison to other games that were critical successes that did their sequels or even did uh like additional games to form a trilogy really make them that much better and i was having a really hard time deciding if there is anything better than the initial experience of dark souls one um you you played uh, added to by two and three because i've played both two and three and i've played most of their dlc as well did you not play demon souls um, I did not play Demon Souls. No, that was before I wasn't aware of Dark Souls until it had actually already released like a year or two. Uh, like I should say Dark Souls had released about a year or two before I had ever heard of it. Um, and so, and I picked up the game Dark Souls in a friend's basement one time where he had gotten the game said, this game kind of sucks. I'm not into it. If you want to try it, go for it. And I fought skeletons in the graveyard above the catacombs for like four hours thinking, wow, this game really is hard. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and thus began the uh, like eternal love for games that are just like mean in how difficult they can be, especially when you don't know what you're doing at all and you're too stubborn to try a different approach or look for another path. Do you think uh so so I don't have the context of demon souls to dark souls I guess where dark souls would be what a spiritual successor a a transition of the genre um into a new uh I guess setting and storyline but otherwise pretty much the same when it comes to gameplay and function cuz demon souls seems like it's the same thing as dark souls I think right. maybe the biggest difference I can think of immediately, like aside from like some of the gameplay differences that you also experience through one, two, and three regarding like guard or uh, guard breaking, uh, weapon arts. Yeah. That's sort the of stuff. amazing dual wielding of dark souls two. That was the one thing that I was like, well, if it weren't for dark souls two, we wouldn't have what is my favorite version of dual wielding, which is the two handed, uh, or not the two-handed, the single-handed dual greatsword build. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. The one critical difference I could think of, and maybe I'm wrong in this regard because I didn't play a whole lot of Demon Souls, and I played it after the fact too, uh, would be that I think the game is more open. Like once you get to the hub, the game is kind of like... Um, I'm trying to think of like a comparison that makes sense. Like Dark Souls 1 is similar in this way, but like there is like an optimal path that it kind of encourages you to go down just due to the sheer difficulty of areas that you can go to but shouldn't go to. And I think okay. Demon Souls is maybe less than that. I would it's almost Breath even say it's like wild. Mega Man. Oh. Yeah, Breath of I the was... Wild is probably a better comparison there. Because you can go anywhere. Like, you have the equipment or the tools to go anywhere. And the difficulty... I guess the the difficulty in Breath of the Wild is how long it takes you to traverse the environment increases the difficulty of enemies. So, it's like the... Uh, oh, it, it's like Oblivion. 
Um, Oblivion, I think, is a good example that if you're not playing the storyline and you're just navigating on the uh, like overworld that is um, Tamriel, if I believe correctly, you can literally go in any direction and it's going to be roughly the same difficulty. Uh, the only difference is, is as you level up, you won't encounter goblins on the road anymore, but like straight up bears after level 10. Demon then, lords when you're in demon the Demon lords levels. at level 20 who are just like walking the sidewalk. Yeah. Um, with, oh God. It's, 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 not ter- even it's terrible started. balancing. Um, but it's the same basic principle where you're only burdened by a relatively similar amount of difficulty in, in any progression. And I do agree. Dark Souls, like you can try and fight Gravelord Nito right away, or at least you can try and make it to the Tomb of Giants. But is that feasible? I don't think so at all. Like those skeletons take 20 something hits with a non upgraded weapon. And right. um, that's just like, you'll just get swarmed. To answer your question though, or to to re- go back to the legacy versus sequel, if you will. Yeah. Uh, conversation maybe the best answer is that once you get enough games out no one even cares about bad installments in your game because what why i mentioned mega man was because that was one thing that came to my mind of like well there are 11 mega man games out now in the main series four out in the x series and a bunch of spinoffs and it's like an you know, no one cares that Mega Man Soccer was... I actually don't know if that was a good game or bad game, but let's pretend it was a, tra- a travesty. Mega Man mm-hmm. Soccer for the SNES, I don't think I'm making that up. Uh, if if that exists and it's horrible, does that make Mega Man 1 or or well, rather Mega, Man, Mega Man 2 or Mega Man X worse? No, I don't think so. That's a good point. But that is also maybe just due to the fact you have that many games. It's easy to forgive uh, like half of them even. I think I think maybe the premise behind this comment that had me thinking was in a game like Bloodborne or uh, really like any of the From Software games that I've played, when I think about it, all of them have been like, I've enjoyed each one of them for different reasons. Um, but for people who are just like trying to, I don't want to say chase, but like return to the high that was the experience of playing the original game and finding that the sequel falls short or doesn't satisfy the same itch, uh, especially when they're pursuing something as like tricky and uh, corrosive as nostalgia, because nostalgia, like, it, it colors our expectations and our perceptions, I think, in a negative way more often than not. Because nostalgia is, is a sensation that can only come from like something that we've enjoyed greatly in the past, but had a long enough detachment from to like aggrandize in our own mind, right? Dark Souls 1 is an amazing game it's really not that good looking by today's standards and it's remake or, or it's remaster for instance is, is like proof that even if you give it, did they say that they were able to achieve like 4k graphics on certain textures and whatnot? Even if, even if you improve um, how it looks graphically, like it was a good looking game for its time. It looks pretty clunky by today's standards. But we, but we will always remember it as being beautiful and really good looking. Um, the gameplay as well, like the experiences are going to be, there's, there's nothing that's going to beat the first time you fight Sif. And now when you fight a giant rat in Dark Souls 2 that has the same moveset as Sif, to, to an extent, it's sort of disappointing it's reminiscent in a way that you may appreciate the fight somewhat but you're also fighting a giant rat and not a wolf with a sword that has like that is steeped in like background or history within the game so i was just thinking about how in order to preserve our appreciation of bloodborne and avoid disappointment with a follow-up game is it better that there just isn't a bloodborne 2 and a new ip is introduced it's an interesting question yeah it's let's, conflicting because i would love to play more bloodborne <laughs> well let's apply that to something uh that is very topical and 
no longer in theory, but a remake of a masterpiece, Resident Evil 2. A game that both of us played over this last week. At least I played the 30-minute one-shot demo, which I assume is the same thing you did. So, yeah, I played it twice. I played it once on PC, once on PlayStation 4. And I actually Uh, played it the week before, and I just forgot to talk about it, despite it being maybe the highlight of that week in terms of gaming. Before I say anything, did you ever think, and I'm just assuming you had a similar experience to me, but did you ever think zombies would be interesting again in a video game? No. (laughs) Uh, That's not true. The Last of Us is about the only franchise I trust to handle zombies um, in any interesting way. And even then, it is uh, The Last of Us uses zombies in order to like force us to reflect more on the uh like dangers and relationships that other humans have with one another more than the zombies actually matter like they're a set piece to isolate and make humans uh like more desperate and like pull out the darker and lighter sides of humanity in the narrative of the last of us and i think that's why i liked it so much because ultimately, after playing that game, you realize that the biggest threat is not the zombies themselves most of the time. It's the other humans you meet, and they're also your biggest allies or support. Um, they also had some interesting takes on, like, I mean, I know they're not technically classic zombies because they're more like right. fungi monsters, but the, they had yeah, an cordyceps. interesting take on enemies that were sight based and then others that are like hearing based or. Yeah. Um, they, yeah, so that's the only, that's the only zombie I've encountered probably in the last decade in gaming that I'm like, this is very cool. I like this concept. I haven't gotten bored of this enemy type, even though it's the same basic principle. Sometimes they're hoarding, you're trying to avoid them for the most part. Um, but when shit hits the fan, you're just (coughs) unloading firepower and trying to get out of the conflict as soon as possible. Um, so how do you feel about Resident Evil 2 zombies, which are the only enemies you end up facing in the one-shot demo? Right. I have never played Resident Evil 2 before. The only Resident Evil game I've ever completed start to finish was 4, and I played about half of 5 and didn't enjoy that a huge amount. And so I just kind of quit in the middle. Um, in Resident Evil 4... And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie this back into the zombie experience. I think I learned, unfortunately, too, like, too close to the end of Resident Evil 2. Um, or 4? Too close to the end of the Resident Evil 2 demo, I okay, should say. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. In Resident Evil 4, I felt equipped, for the most part, to kill every zombie I encountered. Sometimes it got really close, and I was short on ammo and using my knife um, and using the environment quite a bit but at the end of the day i felt like i was equipped to deal with killing any threat that i encountered if i was given if i had enough patience and uh like quick thinking resident evil 2's remake uh made me feel as though i never had enough ammo or uh equipment to do anything i uh don't think that there is any sort of melee engage that could occur with these zombies and you'll have to correct me if i'm wrong but because of that i avoided any sort of like close contact with them and found myself getting swarmed or overrun by just two zombies at once at any given time like one was enough for me to try and handle that two were just a a very present threat And uh, because of the controls and the sway of their heads, headshots were relatively difficult to land, and I couldn't actually tell when they were dead. And I feel like I wasted a lot of bullets. I missed a lot of bullets. Um, I got brought down to low health on several occasions, and I realized very close to the end of this demo that maybe the best thing would have been to incapacitate or slow down the zombie and just get away from it versus actually um kill each zombie i encountered mind if i interject for a second absolutely 
it, it's funny because I entered the game with the mindset of Resident Evil two classic if you will or original and resident evil one's remake as well or remaster kind of right which i haven't played i guess it's a remake or a remaster and the mentality behind the original resident evil games is that you know you're going to have a limited amount of ammo and uh especially on your first time through like if if i had knowledge of the game of that of that idea prior to playing the game actually uh it would have kind of went like it did this time, which is I tried to avoid shooting anything to begin with. And I immediately found out that a lot of the wall creeping and like wall juking, if you will, like let's say you have a hallway Mm -hmm. and you lure the zombie to the left side, his right or her right. You know, I'm not going to assume it's, it's gender. Uh, That zombie, (laughs) that zombie will your gender just zombie at that point. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Undead gender i mean who knows maybe they want to identify as living dead uh there's definitely some politics in there that i don't think we are equipped to handle but (laughs) it or they i should say excuse me uh they will (laughs) inevitably go to the same side of the hallway as you and so it becomes kind of second nature to lead them to that side of the hallway as you're about to run past them and then immediately juke when you get close enough and the zombie will do like will not be able to turn fast enough or get you fast enough and the hallways in resident evil one and two were designed in such a way that you could usually do that with relative ease once you got that mechanic down uh i tried doing that immediately within two and i'm a immediately awakened to zombie bites so the the game's engine definitely and i i would try to do that later on too and usually i ended up getting caught mm-hmm. by by that tomfoolery so the 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 problem that they had going into resident evil 2 in my opinion at least is that they have uh they have a game that really didn't encourage you as you played more and more of it and mastered the game to actually dispatch of zombies and mixing that with the fact that you have Resident Evil 4, the, or essentially that type of gameplay in the remake, and that it's over-the-shoulder shooting, you're going to have a player or a character that is going to be much better at shooting, and you're going to be able to aim at heads, at legs, a lot more like control over over Leon or Claire, and in doing so, empowering the character more. So how do we combat that? And I found that they, at least so far in the demo, have been really effective in doing that through two different ways. The first one is just making the zombie more capable. Like you it's can't just... sway, swaying and lumbering <laughs> and lunging. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much, uh, instead of shuffling, yeah, like sort of dancing towards you um, in a way to coax you to fire so it can move out of the way seconds seconds before you actually, or I guess not seconds, milliseconds before you hit the trigger button and fire into an empty space. And they kind of, they kind of did this in 7 with the molded enemies, the molded, infected, whatever they're called, and that they also had some attacks that would greatly exaggerate what you'd expect their range to be the zombies in this case don't necessarily have that but they're not pushovers like in seven you could run past molded enemies uh, upon staggering them and such in this game it seems like they take the second step of the equation which is to greatly keep you guessing at what the zombie is going to do so i'm not saying this is going to last the entire uh, playthrough of the game or a, an entire typical playthrough of the game but it seems like there's a number of we'll say personalities or move sets that the zombies have and even within a single move set or personality that zombie also is prone to like sporadic movements that are not unlike being a corpse if you will so mm-hmm. it'll occasionally have a short burst of movement a lunge if you will even if it's a little further away it tends to be kind of sporadic and unpredictable again upon first impressions and i think those two factors together really make the typical zombie enemy or like something to actually be frightful of or concerned about well because the individual zombie is finally threatening right this is uh this is what Resident Evil has done really well in 
in just demonstrating this demo, I've played a lot of zombie games and the threat of four or five zombies to deal with (coughs) is normally enough to get a player flustered because it's, oh, I have five slow moving targets, but if I don't deal with each one of them, one of them's finally going to get through and take me down. And in this game, I'm like, oh shit, a single zombie is terrifying because I can't hit this guy and he's covered half of this hallway on his way to me. It's it's uh making the it's it's dealing with the numbers issue that I think exists in a lot of zombie games and they're doing it by giving it a more intelligent AI or or move set to cycle through or randomly choose from versus just adding a bunch of very like generic and stagnant types of AI opponents that only really execute one method but do so on mass to apply pressure there's two additional things that come into play here. Uh, the first one's kind of building off of that sporadic AI, we'll call it, or the sporadic move set. Mm-hmm. Let's say, like, one zombie still, if you have enough room, would be enough if you can time it well, which I'm assuming that'll be a skill that you'll get down pretty well as you play through the game. You stagger it by hitting it anywhere and you run past it. Uh, there's a point, like, the second zombie encounter or at least for me in uh, the demo is two zombies coming out of a like into a hallway mm-hmm. i found that i could not stagger both of them and run past i ended up getting uh caught at that point so that already like diversifies the typical run by stagger and run experience that you could do in four pretty often um yeah. you also don't have like stagger roundhouse kicks apparently leon as a cadet does not have that ability yet in four he will uh but n- more notably the idea of unpredictability is further, I guess like further established uh, by the fact that you don't know when a zombie is actually dead or not. And maybe they're never dead. I, I didn't really stick around and experiment long enough to know, but you put, I did, if you, you put eight know. bullets in and it falls down and it, it could, it can eventually get back up, I think. But it's down for a while. Um, I did actually, I mean, I'm actually not sure if I tested this as robustly as i'd like to but i can say if you have a zombie that you unload five or six headshots into um their head can explode and at that point i i considered them neutralized or non-combatants the only problem is you don't find enough ammo to do that to every zombie if you land every single headshot with every zombie you encounter i still think you've run out of ammo before you kill all the zombies yeah, I think there is a level of RNG involved too with those headshots because I, by nature of, you know, the the mindset I have is that, okay, we know what happened in Resident Evil 1's remaster slash remake. Uh, for any zombie that was still quote unquote intact later on in the game, if you kill them, assumingly, later yeah. on in the game, they come back as crimson heads mm. and that makes it even harder. Uh, so you either had to set them on fire, which we so far I don't have any access to or blow their heads off with a shotgun or a lucky handgun round. Mm. Uh, so I was only essentially trying to do headshots and I found that it was kind of like a coin flip or maybe even like it's around those odds, but maybe more in the favor of their head staying intact despite the repeated headshots. It seemed like I would down them before and down them for a good while before their heads would blow up. I'm curious if I went over and just started unloading into their heads at that point in time, if I could get them to blow up their heads to blow up, it's such a weird phrase, blow up their heads to capitate (laughs) them. Uh, but it's more like a dice roll odds wise. And I feel like, um, yeah, I, I feel like with the zombies that I tested this on, it wasn't also unloading the clip either. It was speculative headshot, speculative headshot, wait a second, see him groan, speculative headshot. This is the problem that I also wasted my 30 minutes on just trying to determine how to kill a zombie instead of progressing forward. I really like the time limit, if only to pressure me to make it through the environment. It's like, oh, this is scary, and I'm going to encounter something that's going to threaten my character's life, and a game over is going to take more time than uh, just like successfully navigating this cautiously. But I also have a time limit, on, time limit on my back, so I pushed through a couple situations that I think I would have been more reticent to do or I would have done more exploring had I not 
had a little achievement timer telling me that five, 10, 15 minutes had ticked by. And by the end of it, when it hit 25 minutes, I was just like, okay, I'm just sprinting through this. Like, I just got to see everything that's left before it's, it's over. I forgot to note, uh, I also thought they gave like maybe more ammo than I expected. Cause by the end of the demo, I probably still had, or by the end of the 30 minutes, I probably still had like 40 bullets left. I had almost nothing left. <laughs> so definitely goes to show you like the difference in our play styles. I feel like using any substantial amount of ammo is a bad idea. Cause like, as you can tell, as you go through the different environments, especially the first part, you get introduced to the mechanic, which is zombies will probably not take damage or wake up until certain points in the story happen. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's going to be a recurring thing, but it probably will be a recurring thing. I also am not... Uh, when I think about it now, in Resident Evil 4, you had the tentacle monster zombies that would pop up when you pop someone's head. Yeah. I wonder if that we might be like in for some sort of surprise in Resident Evil 2 in this remake. Um, so I'm already it, not looking forward to liquors, uh, which going back to uh, going back to The Last of Us, the liquor is a blind enemy. Uh, it assumedly just navigates and finds its finds its victims uh, through through hearing and maybe scent. Mm hmm. They also, I mean, like, the the whole idea is they don't have eyes because the brain has outgrown the entire skull, right? Yeah. So you also don't see a nose, as far as I remember. Uh, so maybe it's just off of the taste of the air. They can taste you. They're it's kind of like gross to think about it. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know if I have anything else to say, aside from the fact that uh, that looks really good. Uh, even on PlayStation 4, non-pro, uh, I I even had like a sick to my stomach moment when you, when Leon uh, lifts the officer's head oh, that is slouched in a wall. Yeah, and it's peeling away. Yeah, you can tell like the jaw, there's something wrong with the jaw or mouth. And my gut instinct was that it's going to fall off as soon as you lift the head and that'll be that but it's much worse it just stretches more and more it's very sinewy yeah that was a that was definitely a stomach turning stomach turning moment i enjoyed it but i was also super disturbed by it yeah Um, um the preview at the very end or i guess the i guess like ending trailer because they present you with the trailer once your time's up it looks like the usual um I don't want to call it trashy, but like Resident Evil has always had a very uh, like supernatural or uh, surreal take to it in a sense. It's a zombie game, so that's it's probably unfair of me to be too critical about anything that is permitting <laughs> zombies into the world right. from not being realistic enough. Um, but the, the action in Resident Evil actually always seems to surprise me because I, I think of the experience, especially early on, being full of dread and sort of a mundane threat of um, like death evolving later and later into these, like it, when I remember Resident Evil 4, boss fights in a burning barn to a giant monster in a castle that like... Resident Evil always jumps the shark, and I think it's something that people like about that particular series, and it's something I enjoyed in Resident Evil 4, but every single time I see it, it always, for whatever reason, just gets me, and I think, this is bad storytelling, but and, and it's campy, and it's silly, but it's also kind of what I like about it, too. And so, I mean, seeing the preview, I told I turned to Sierra after I finished it, and I was just like, this game's going to be hot trash, and I'm very excited to play it. <laughs> I could be wrong, but I think Resident Evil was inspired inspired by uh, Evil Dead, right? Which is also campy in its own way. Yeah, I mean, I think I could call it trash and be happy with it. Like there, are, there's all sorts of trashy things that everyone loves. So it's not, mm-hmm. it's not like I'm trying to badmouth it. It's just that's what it is. Uh, the one thing that I noticed, oh, and I I want to say something good before I say the bad part. 
Okay. Uh, I think the voice acting is actually perfect so far. Yeah. I really and, liked it a lot. And like, you might be like, well, Neil, Leon and Claire both sound a little like comical. Well, you probably wouldn't because you also recognize that like their voices are actually great for that campiness, you know? Exactly. Their, their voice acting is perfect. It's like the type of voice acting that you can tell they obviously are accurately portraying their emotions. So you know if he's upset or excited or mad. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, this is Resident Evil. I think it's the same voice acting quality that we expect from like a a general uh, anime dub. Yeah, that that's that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, and and to say like it's, I want to say that's better than original Resident Evil one and two voice acting because those were like just bad at times. Uh, the like these are on in my opinion. They're they're serious enough, but not too serious. Uh. Now, for the the thing that did bug me watching the trailer, and again, this is maybe just me being an audio guy, but how the hell, and this happens in Catherine as well, speaking of which, but how the hell do people say all of these types of syllables with their teeth showing all the time like this? Like, you, you you wouldn't talk with your teeth exposed like this and still sound normal, and yet they do it in both of these games. And I can understand it, uh, I, I can kind of understand it with the fact that they were probably lip syncing off of Japanese. Maybe that's not the case in Resident Evil. Or maybe they change it slightly. I'm not sure. Depending, I actually don't know at all what the lip sync thing is like. If that actually mm-hmm. adjusts to the script. <clears throat> but when you factor in that Japanese doesn't have that many, many syllables where your lips do not, like, do not not close, close. I guess. yeah. Like, the majority well, of syllables in Japanese involve your lips closing to prene- uh, to produce those sounds. So I still don't understand why Claire is talking with her lips wide open, full sentences at a time. <laughs> it's because nowhere in the script are they going to say the word mimosa to, you know, break, break the uh, immersion. Mimosa. <laughs> See? <laughs> I can promise you that word will not be in Resident Evil 2. Um, I didn't even notice that. And now, unfortunately, I will notice it <laughs> every time I play. Um, I, I, th- I think the only reason I do is because the teeth are so like, they stand out so much because there's still like a degree of disconnect I have between the, the rest of the character artwork and the teeth, at least in that particular scene. Mm-hmm. And it's not because they're perfect or anything either. It's just like, they just stand out out in ways that like it that you sometimes encounter in games where the graphics are so good in certain respects but then in other respects you're like that just looks fake as fuck but but do not let me like do not let me actually uh portray the idea that this actually worsened my experience it was just something that like caught my attention in like a Shenmue no expression sort of way. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a really fun, fun demo. And I'm kind of torn between playing on PC and PS4 since I, I did, I played the demo twice. I think it actually felt better in certain respects playing it on the PlayStation just in general. Like I like, I like having the big screen option and all that stuff that you would normally c- consider with a console. Uh, and it kind of felt better not being able to have pinpoint accuracy with a mouse. I don't know if you understand that, but... I used a controller on the computer, and so I didn't have the pinpoint accuracy of a mouse. And I can see how that could be... Um, I don't know. I guess I haven't, I haven't played many games like Resident Evil with a mouse entirely because I think the the movement is normally really clunky or uh, it's it's obtrusive to the immersion and the experience and the way a controller is not. Oh, and you so mean like Wasad for movement? Yeah, yeah. It's it's the uh, it's the keyboard movement that sucks, not the mouse accuracy that makes me default to using a controller on a game in which I could have more accuracy with the mouse but feel like I'm much uh, clumsier in the actual like mobility of my character. Uh, mm. 
So you'll probably get it on PC. You should tell me like what you feel about mouse shooting because now I'm just kind of genuinely curious when that when it comes out. Uh, I really only mouse shoot in first person shooters though. Like I don't play third person games with keyboard and mouse ever, ever. Um, And it feels weird too in the regards of just like being able to so quickly maneuver straight to headshots. It feels almost unfair at times. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like if I were watching myself or like part of my rationale is that like I'll be playing with Tiffany. Likely she'll be watching me play. We might trade off uh, at times uh, Mm -hmm. like we did with Resident Evil 7. But I just I don't necessarily know if it looks as good having really jerky mouse movement, really quick jerky mouse movement, uh, especially because I have uh, mouse smoothing or mouse acceleration, whichever term you prefer, turned off. So yeah. it's like very jaggedy movements. It's like, is it? Yeah, this guy obviously plays League of Legends, that sort of approach, or real time strategy games. Yeah. Oh, that comes out this Friday, right? Uh, let me look into it. I had something else open on the Steam <coughs> store. Um, it comes I guess out. I can Google it. On, yeah, the 25th. So we're five days out from it. Oh, shoot. Am I going to buy that or am I going to buy Ace Combat 7 Skies Unknown? which is released for console, but doesn't come out on the PC until the 31st. Have you uh, been playing that in some form before? No, but uh, I've played every Ace Combat since Ace Combat 4. And uh, I don't know what exactly it is about piloting aircraft in a video, like, um, I guess, pilot simulator video games, but I love them. Um, they're so much fun and I really have never lost my zeal for, uh, flying a plane and Ace Combat has satisfied that no matter how good or bad their games have been. Ace Combat 5 is honestly, I think one of my, it'd definitely be in my top five PlayStation 2 games of all time. And, um, I'm trying to think. Ace Combat Zero was relatively fun as well. Ace Combat 6 was not very good at all, but I still played a lot of that game anyway. And so I'm kind of expecting if Ace Combat 7 is middling in its like in its uh, receival or reviews to good, I definitely want to pick it up because it's been a very long time since Ace Combat 6 came out. Um, it's got to be like more. It's got to be like seven or eight years now. Um, I'm going to fact check that really quick. And every once in a while, they have a really good story. I thought the story for Ace Combat 5 was really phenomenal. Um, the last Ace Combat game to release was 11 years ago in 2007. Can you tell me what Ace Combat story is like? Because I imagine it's not plane A and plane B meet and become friends and have to fight off the Nazis. Uh, that's Ace Combat Zero, more or less. But <laughs> um, Ace Combat stories, A- Ace Combat Five, for instance, the Unsung War. You play as uh, you play as a group of rookie fighter pilots in a nation that um, is under attack by its neighboring superpower or whatever. And, fictional. Uh, the- uh, fictional. It's always fictional, but they normally try and replicate like an area of the world. And so I think it was like the Balkans that they modeled that after um, in Ace Combat 5. Though this is, it's that game's from 2004 and probably the last time I played it was the mid 2000s. So my memory might be a little hazy. But you play as them um, where the initial probably 10 missions or so are uh, you learning to fly and then dealing with an unexpected strike from this rival nation and then having to uh be on like you're you're then ultimately on the run as you're like the remaining air force of the of your uh nation under attack and work with a rebel force to essentially beat back your oppressors um i'm trying to see what the country's Osea and Yuko, but uh, Yuktobania. Osea and Yuktobania are the two countries. And so you belong to Osea and Yuktobania. Um, 
invade your territory and um, essentially put put you on the run. Let's see. So it, is it like cutscenes outside of combat? Obviously, of you lots on the of, ground. Yeah, lots of cutscenes. A relatively like a story that you would expect to be written at least up to snuff um, with your standard Tom Clancy dime novel. But um, Ace Combat 5 happened to have a particularly good storyline in which you were, while you're on the run and you are the like remnant Air Force, you are also believed to be shot down at an earlier point in the game after you begin on the run. So you become this folk hero group of like phantom pilots, essentially um, referenced or in reference to a fictional character from like OC folklore called the Rosgrees, if I remember correctly. And so um, as you and your phantom pilot team then work to not only uh, further the rebel cause, you kind of cement your prowess as aces in the uh in in like a a historical context with the nation that is being subjugated oc by euctabania and so it's this really interesting and exciting narrative of both growth from rookie pilots into legends while you're um also working to liberate your homeland um there i think every single ace combat you operate at least in some sense as the non-aggressive party (coughs) or the recipient of an aggressive attack from a uh allied or neighboring nation and so that never really changes in these games, but that particular narrative take was very good. You go on a rescue mission to save your instructor later in the game, um, and all of these are normally accented by the opposing military having one or two like super weapons that they plan to unleash that your Air Force, in the nick of time, like comes in to destroy. And so... I think the overwhelming loneliness that you feel in this game that they're able to capture in a game where all of the gameplay is just flying in a plane is a really uh, impressive narrative tie into what is otherwise an arcade uh, like flight fighter pilot simulator. There's also some... It also has some really cool mission segments where you uh, play like non-hostile missions or where you're essentially being tailed but you're not flying a fighter jet but instead like a commercial plane trying to escape an airspace um very good all around i would highly recommend the game even to this day because ultimately like racing games rendering a vehicle like a plane and um mostly a sky and ground with certain land features is very easy to do graphically. And so these games don't age graphically uh, very quickly at all. But yeah, uh, Ace Combat 5 will have me forever hyped for whatever Ace Combat comes next. Have you convinced yourself to go that route instead of RE2? I mean, I could just buy both. You I'm, could? Yeah. As as I demonstrated with my subscription earlier, I'm rolling in the money. <laughs> Uh, but unfortunately, it'll once again disappoint Cookie that I've invested it into not getting PlayStation Online, especially with Monster Hunter releasing new content. They have some sort of big event that's coming up, or maybe it's a DLC. I cannot remember which, but Cookie will have the... He'll he'll be in the know when we go to record uh, next week with him. I wonder uh, if I'll ever play Monster Hunter World. That was one game that I basically told myself I'd wait until the PC release then the PC release happened and there were, there were enough mixed reviews that I decided to hold off until it got better. And now, uh, new games are out instead. I don't know if I, I, I would buy it now with the, uh, knowledge that I have, uh, of what the game is. Series. Yeah. It's, it's not completely for me really. It's, um, I guess it's tricky when you go to buy a game and it is, this is actually exactly my uh, relationship with Ace Combat is sometimes there are games that have a particular uh, 
type of gameplay that is relatively unique to them, that gives it a very dedicated and supportive fan base. And when you see those games and people very excited about them, it excites you. But that doesn't mean that it will necessarily satisfy what you're looking for in a gameplay experience. And I feel like Monster Hunter sort of lacks excitement uh, and the amount of just like sheer planning and knowledge of mechanics is daunting enough that I don't feel invested enough to learn it and therefore don't find it a particularly like enjoyable experience anytime. Um, I would much rather just play a different game that has you fighting against like large bosses frequently and um, managing equipment in a way that's more familiar to me, which is, of course, a From Software game. So, uh, Does that cap oh, off your gameplay experiences this week? For the most part. I guess I should add that um, Ace Combat does allow some narrative decision in almost all of their games that uh, <laughs> is normally boiled down to a midway chapter in which there are two missions you can take and sometimes you choose to take one or the other that puts you right back onto the same path if you complete that mission or you can do a coin flip and uh, therefore a campaign that has say 21 missions there's a 10A and a 10B and so you have to play the game twice to experience the other one is it like a clear good and bad path or is it more along no, the lines of it's just like, chaos? Do you, do you want to do... No, it's even more simple than that. It's like, do you want to do a mission that's mostly aerial or do you want to do a mission that has a lot of ground enemies? Or sometimes it's like, do you want to do land or sea? And they ask you once and you get to make that choice once. Sometimes twice. And then but it ends up like, just guiding you down that specific route. Because the story doesn't change, but it's like... <laughs> You run joint operations and sometimes one person on your team goes and does that thing and you do the other or like your team splits and you have half your team go this way, half your team go that way and reconverge at the next chapter regardless of which one you chose to do. Well, so uh, we do not have any emails this week, but please send them in to podcast at fancyramen.com if you have comments, questions or corrections. We always love uh, hearing from you guys. We greatly appreciate any uh, word of advice you guys have, too. Uh, oh, yeah, Cookie's gone. So please remember to leave a like and review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on, whether it's Apple iTunes or uh, something else. And then also, if you could leave a review with your friends, let them know about the podcast. Let them know that uh, we no longer take emails and convert them to spam instantaneously. <laughs> and would love their participation. So that does it for this episode of Fancy Ramen, episode 103. I'm Neil. I'm Scott, and we'll see you for 104. You know what? I forgot to mention before. I'm going to cut this in to the start. Cookie is out on unofficial assignment. Official assignment? He's I mean, been very he proactive. He assigned himself, Yeah, yeah. I get yeah no that that is official assignment just assigned by himself. Yeah, uh, Cookies Cookies on official assignment at Pack South right now and that's why he isn't recording uh in today's episode but he'll be back with some exclusive uh on the ground information and uh interview material for episode 104 which is very cool. I uh, hope you're doing well. Safe travels, Cookie. Yeah, best of luck to you. And then the ever always phrase have a good week everyone bye <laughs>